You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Good morning, all. I got to tell a story on myself. Yeah, uh, she goes, yeah, Jesus is my mentor. I was like, well, he better be your savior because <laughs> mentor ain't going to help you. Uh, we were in their house and and Jed's like, oh, please, not right now. Let's just finish the blinds. <laughs> we're like, let's wait till we're done with the blinds so we can leave if she freaks out. Yeah, let's get the check first. So we got the check, and then I put it on her. So just so you know, <laughs> Jed was, he was ready to make a run for it. No, it was good. It was good. I mean, it's good to have those conversations. It gives you boldness. I got to tell you another story. Uh, we had a good time at the rescue mission on, on Friday night. Brother Mark and I went and met some guys, and it was kind of a f- funny thing. I wanted to tell this just for you, Mark. So we, with this one boy we met, his name was Jacob. If you'd be in prayer for him this week, he kind of had the blonde, he kind of a handsome guy, blonde hair, kind of dreadlocks, but he'd definitely been sleeping outside, multiple layers of clothes, you know, and, and um, you know, had his little backpack with him and stuff. And before it was over, uh, we got to, he stayed and talked to us afterwards, and we gave the gospel clearly and everything. And then, I thought it was clearly, maybe, maybe it wasn't, but it was as clear as they were getting it for that day. And, um, and then when, when we got done, he was like talking to us about it, you know. He said, I just got saved like a couple days ago, yesterday, whatever. And he goes, I'm supposed to get baptized today. And I pray he does. By Redemption Church. Somebody from Redemption Church up there had found him wandering the roads or something, talked to him. And, you know, they had a drug rehab program. That guy's very evangelical and, and teaching people to, to give the gospel to others. And this guy's very pleasant young fellow, happy face, you know. And... Um, and uh, he was excited to talk about it, and we talked to him. So we, we had to go back over baptism. He wasn't sure what baptism was doing, what was the point. He was kind of trying to regulate, is that what I need to do? He's got a little something broken in the machine there. He kept repeating, kind of going back to the same story of what he was going to be um, and, and whatever. But uh, anyway, so we gave him a ride up to, to McDonald's and drop him off, and I think he's going to stay there a couple hours till, it, till they close, and he's going to go back to sleep in the woods or something. So this morning... Uh, Keith and I, I saw Keith over at Dunkin' Donuts. I whipped in there, talked to him about 7.20 or so. I was going to pick Hope up. And out of the woods comes Jacob. He comes walking up there. And um, he's looking a little, little rough. But, it, I, you know, I'm like, I point out the window. I'm like, Jacob, how's it going, man? And that guy's got a big smile on his face. He goes, who? And I was like, Jacob, right? He goes, no, nah, man, my name is Tommy or whatever. I was like, oh, sorry, man. God bless you, Tommy. I called him Jacob, whatever. God bless you, Jacob. Have a good day. He's like, yeah, you, you have a good day too. So, you know, all white people look the same in the dark, I guess. I don't know. But I <laughs> called out the wrong guy this morning. But anyway, put the word on Tommy or whatever his name is. But, uh, man, there's a lot of them out there, and uh, it's kind of crazy how many of those those are just kind of living on the edge. They all got a little bit missing right there, but I believe that Jacob could still hear the gospel and understand. I mean, just you might be missing a little a little piece there that would make you a functioning part of society maybe, but that guy can be used by God. I believe he can. He's had a really positive heart. He liked to talk. He'd probably be a, a good evangelist, you know, so be in prayer for Jacob that he wouldn't be tempted back to that old way, and and it was kind of funny to, I mean, Keith thought it was real funny because he liked seeing me go down there. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Live not by lies. We're, we're preparing for the worst, but hoping for the best. That's where I want you to, that's where I really want to go for a while. I, I just, I don't want to be negative in this, but I want to be preparing in this. I'm telling you, like we saw last week with China and them tearing those churches down, I'm telling you that those days are coming. It's happening in, in uh, Canada right now with that one pastor. And you say, well, that's in Canada. 
Well, when the corona thing hit in Kentucky, they went after churches there. They did the same thing. They blocked the churches up. They arrested pastors. They gave tickets to people that showed up at church. I'm telling you, it's coming. They're doing it in California. They're going to do it here. So what we need to do, and so last week in Canada, I can't remember. What's that guy's name? You remember his name? Uh, I told you it was Brian, but that was a lie. His name's like James. James Coates is his name. Good thing I came up with the James one. James Coates is the guy's name. So last week, he actually went to the Master Seminary, which is John MacArthur's seminary. Last week, they had to have like an underground church service. And the news, the people from the church went to his church. Well, the, the state has fenced around the church. Now they got three rows of fence around the church, and they called it a protest and a riot as the people whose church it was went and tore down the fencing. It was their church. If I fence around your house and I say, you can't go in your house and you tear down the fence, it's not a riot. That's my house. You can't keep me out of my house. And that's what they've done. And that's in Canada. We're a couple years behind Canada in most things. Tragically, that means it's really close. So we need to have our hearts prepared now. We need to have God's word in our heart that we might not sin against thee. We might have it in our hearts now that we can meditate on it day and night. We need to have it in our body, in our person so that when we're in that situation we can have the correct response and uh and so Coates wrote a really nice letter to John MacArthur thanking him for his prayers and all those things and and how encouraging it was to to them to uh to continue and just make it known I mean it, otherwise it doesn't get known so we need to be on top of that and so last week we looked at the three personalities that people need to have in their house I did say men and I believe that that's true men seem to need it more than women women um, receive information a different way they they receive um, emotional support a different way than men do um, speaking of which um, well I would like to talk to to the ladies of the small group after the service if I could just the ladies of the small group um, that meet at uh, Bisbee's house. If I could talk to them right after church, it would be really good. I'd like to talk to you about someone that's really needing some care. And, uh, but but they, they need a different kind of support than men need. Men definitely need these guys. They need the Zadok. They need the high priest guy. They need the Nathan. They need the guy that keeps them straight, the prophet. They need a, the Benaniah guy, the guy that's got their back. But I was in, if we look at that, you don't even have to look at it too carefully. You can see this obvious thing that Jesus satisfies all of these. And some of the people that I've talked to this week, it's been the week of the beatdown. Actually, the last three weeks have been the weeks of the beatdown, the feast of beatdown weeks. That's what I've been going through. Through some different personalities, people that you know, some of them, some of you don't know, um, and what they've said about what happens at Plant Grow Harvest or what happens through the preaching here, or what happens through the emotional support here or whatever. And in those, I, I came to the conclusion, I was talking to Mark about it, but that but if you're looking for a person outside of your spouse, so if you've got a broken relationship with your spouse, you're not going to receive that. But if you're looking for another person outside of your spouse, married people, or outside of your parents, children, to fix these things in you, you're looking in the wrong place. Christ is the one that satisfies the high priesthood. He's the one that satisfies the prophecy, the prophet, the, the, the Holy Spirit, the conscience that, that pricks your conscience, that directs you in the proper path. You know, he's the Ben and I. He's the one, the mediator that goes before the Father on your behalf. When we pray, we pray. The mediator goes before us to the Father and speaks to him. He speaks the language that the judge speaks. You don't speak that language well. Only the mediator speaks the language of the judge. Only the lawyer speaks the language of the judge. You don't speak it that well. 
It's not a, a man came the other day and he, told, he came up here, me and Dave were up here, and he goes, well, if you can't speak the prayer language, the heavenly language here on earth, then you, how are you going to talk in heaven? I'm going to talk in heaven because I'm going to probably be speaking Hebrew, and I don't speak Hebrew now. So uh, somebody let that guy in right there. Let him in, Charles. Tell him come on in. I don't speak Hebrew now, but when I get there, I'll be able to speak Hebrew. It'll be fine. So, uh, so learning, uh, you know, uh, to speak in tongues, if that's your thing, whatever. But not knowing tongues, not speaking in tongues now is not going to hinder me from heaven. The only thing that's going to hinder me from heaven is not knowing Christ, not having the mediator, not having the, the prophet. So anyway, so the way this works most efficiently, so, so Christ is the most capable in the role of priest. We get him? We're going to fight out there in the parking lot? Is it all right? We're going to have a big fight out there in the parking lot? <laughs> well, Keith, or Pete, Pete, Ben and I, Pete had your back there, Charles. He's, he's ready to back you up or at least call for help. Strong. Anyway. Anyway, that's good, man. I can show up anytime. I got, this is another thing about the mission. While we're preaching, <laughs> these two guys that were, they were lit. And they come staggering in there. About, it was a great time. I got to tell you, it was particularly fun. And these two drunk guys showed up in there, real scraggly looking, and they were hilarious. The one guy couldn't even stay awake. He was so fired up. And he was like, and he was like, oh, my friend here, man, if anybody needs saved, it's this man. He passed back out, you know. It was great. We had a great time. It was fun. Those guys thanked us for the word and everything. And um, you should come sometime. Give it, a, give it a try there. Put you on your toes. You get a little bit of, you know, get your little hand-to-hand combat thing going there. It's good. But uh, so the way this works most efficiently, okay, in preparation of, of the pastor, priest, and, and mentor or, or uh, mediator is, is as we keep our eyes, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim and live his glory and grace. That's, the, that's what you do. Amen. And I'm going to cover something today that I was particularly kicked in the stomach about, and I'm thinking the, the guy's eyes are on the wrong person, but we'll get there in a second. So the way this works most efficiently is we should be seeking these roles from Christ primarily. I can have Dave as my Nathan, and he's the straight shooter, right? He's going to tell me when I'm off track, when I'm doing the wrong thing. I can have that guy. That's good. But i got to have Christ, and I have to know Christ, and then this guy can benefit me in a way. He can be like, hey, man, do you remember this verse? And he can plug that in there. He can move me back to where I'm supposed to be. But if I, don't have, if I don't have a relationship with Christ, by relationship I mean a daily following of Christ, if I don't have that, this guy can talk till he's blue in the face and I'm not going to have understanding because I don't know what language he's speaking. So our eyes are so earthly that we tend to look for earthly men and women to help us in these relational roles when we need to have a heavenly view of who God is and how he works in us and how he works in earthly men that have found him and the language that he speaks. There is a heavenly language. It's right here. It's in this book. There's, this is the rules and regulations of heaven, of kingdom of heaven. It's in this book. Our high priest gave it through Jesus Christ. He gave it. I got a new book. This is your new, next book title. I got This is yours, Dave. You ready? Write, you writing it down? You better get your pen out, son. Traveler's Guide to the Kingdom. Did you write it? You better write it down. Traveler's Guide to the Kingdom. Jesus gave it to us. I want you to go there. It begins Matthew chapter 5. Here's the thing. This is, this is what dawned on me this week. I'm going to tell you this twice, probably. <laughs> you excited? Th- this is why it's dawned on me this week. 
is that what we're, what we're unaware of as earthly men is that there's a completely different set of rules for kingdom men than there is for earthly men. And so many times, Christians, believers, are trying to apply earthly rules to kingdom men. And that's what's got us messed up, I'm convinced. If you read in the Beatitudes, we're just going to read two little parts here. We're going to read the, the blessed part, and we're going to read the Lord's Prayer. But we're going to read it in a different way today. We're going to read it slowly and just kind of look at a couple things in there. I promise. That's not where we're ending. We're going to end in James, but we're going to start right here. So Jesus tells anyone who would hear... Not that there's a new sheriff in town, but that as believers in Messiah, then you have to operate by the kingdom rules, the constitution of the kingdom, and not the ones of the earth. Look at Matthew 5, start at verse 3. It says that he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, he was in a calm, very relational way of speaking to people. Wasn't yelling at them, wasn't beating them up. He's like, listen, you pitiful bunch of slugs, listen to me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want you to go look at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 9. And there, he's going to teach them how to speak in the kingdom of to the king. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, not on earth, in heaven. It's a heavenly kingdom. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, we're to act in a different way. We're to act heavenly on earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, power, glory forever and ever. Amen. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Turn the page again. Go to 7 verse 26. Jesus speaking. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine... I've been sent from the Father to you. Everyone who hears what I'm saying to you and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This is the key right here, 28. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. Why were they astonished? They were astonished because they're looking at this and they're like, this is not how people act. You want me to turn the other cheek? You want me to keep my treasure somewhere other than in my bank account? You want me to be worried or be just only be concerned about whether or not you're going to provide my food rather than me go and struggle and make it myself? You're going to say that it's, it's wrong for me to make an oath in the name of God where before I would just say, I swear to God, I'm going to do X and so. You're telling me that you would rather me just say yes or no than say, yeah, I'll do it and then not or make an excuse? This is not how earthly men live. You want me to turn the other cheek? This is not how earthly men live. This is a completely different way of living. It's just those two little 
5, 6, and 7. It's just those two, three little chapters right there. But Jesus tells us there's a completely different way of living than you're living. And it says that when the people heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Like, who, who teaches? What kind of jazz is this? For he taught them as one having authority, not as a scribe. How does he know? Because he was in heaven. He came from heaven to earth to show us the way. Remember that song? He came down and he shows us that there's a different way. Truly, if so if we're going to be prepared to survive in an earthly place that does not operate by, operate by heavenly rules, then we're going to have to know what the heavenly contract says, what the heavenly constitution says. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard spiritually. It's going to be hard physically, uh, emotionally, in these earthly conditions to remain faithful to the Lord because they don't, I, I don't know if you know this, but when they put you in, they didn't put that guy, the, the James Coates guy, they said they put him in maximum security. Generally, when you get picked up by the law, you go to the county jail, right? And you sit there for a month, two months, six months, whatever. Maybe you don't know this. I've learned these things from my jailbird friends. That's what you do. You sit there for a while, and then after you're charged and you go to court, then you go to the big house. They took that guy right to the big house and let him duke it out. He's not, it's not like he's there with a whole bunch of his Bible study buddies. He's there with a bunch of hooligansters and killers and rapists and, and bad people. And they're like, all right, let's see what your faith does now, buddy. Is it real? Because it's really easy to sit here in this crowd and we're all speaking good things to each other. Wow, you, you look really nice today, Whitney. Looking good. Looking good today there, Miss Corey. Looking real good. Thanks for coming this morning. Did a good job on your hair. Looking good, Linda. Looking good there, Cindy. Everybody, we look our best. We come here. But this, this is easy to be friendly and loving and kind and generous and all stuff here. But what if we take you down there to Pikeville? And in the first couple days, they just beat you up because you're the new guy or you're the only white guy in an all-black thing. That's what they do. They put you in there, just let you get roughed up a little bit. What if they rape you? What if they abuse you physically first just to see, because that's what they do, just to see what you're made of? Can you still say that God is good? Can you still remain faithful to him? Or is it going to be much more difficult because you're not stable here? God, why have you left me here? Why am I all alone? How come you could treat me that way? I thought you loved me. It's going to be tough we got to be ready before we go there. And you got to know that it is a possibility. We don't think it, because I'm telling you, I was watching that video of China last week and them tearing down that church. I promise you, whoever built that church, never in a million years thought some government person would come over there with a track hoe and a big, you know, what do they call it, a big ball there or whatever, and smash down the church. We think the same way. There is no way they keep it from our church. But they built a fence around a church. And called the people that wanted to go into the church protesters and rioters. Hmm. Something happened. Something's happening. But kingdom people have to know the rules of the kingdom so that they can survive in this world. It's tough. The United States of America, was they wrote a constitution. And I dare say the problems that we have today are mostly because we, we don't stick to the constitution. It was very simple. It said what we were supposed to spend money on, that we were only supposed to have gold as the backing of our money, you know, that would control inflation, and, and it had rules about what they were supposed to spend. Government wasn't supposed to spend money on schools. Did you know that? 
people decided that later. We just had to, we'll just put that in there. We'll have a school board. We'll have school things. And local people used to support schools. And then they could keep an eye. You know, fathers and mothers could keep an eye on what the teachers were teaching. And the federal government would come in and tell the teachers what to teach and then teach the kids. Local parents hired the teachers. Teacher get off track, they fire that guy and get another guy. It's a completely different picture. The health care wasn't provided by the federal government. It was provided by the churches. Like I've seen in Peru where people are sick unto death and then they stagger into a church and they ask the pastor to pray for them. And if they're healed, then God's power is revealed through the work of the pastor to that person. That person said there must be a God. But we don't even, we just take our money and we go buy health care. The government says, well, if you can't afford it, we'll pay for it. It sounds cruel, but I'm telling you, if we stick to the Constitution, we have a completely different looking country because the churches aren't able to care for the people. And, and what we did was we did exactly what it said in Revelations. We added to and took away from. The Bible says not to do that. Don't do that with God's word. This is the Constitution. Don't make it say stuff it doesn't say. Don't add to it. But don't take away what it does say to do. We've got to be careful with that. You know, it's not just in Revelation. It's interesting. At the end of the Torah, it says it too. Deuteronomy 12, 32, it says the same thing. Not to add to or take away from. Be careful with that. So we got, we got this special book right here, God's Word, that tells us how to live as kingdom people, as earthmen. Hard for us to relate to. Why did God have such a special relationship with men like Enoch or Noah, a man, the only man that was righteous in his days? Why did he have a special relationship with David or Abraham, Moses? Why, what was the special relationship? Why did those guys have a... A special conversation, the one it says about Moses, that he met with God face to face and spoke to him like one friend speaks to another. It was very relational. There's one guy sitting here, Moses, and then God's sitting here. He's like, all right, Moses, get out your pencil. Write this down, Dave. You know, next book is called, you know, Guide to the Kingdom Living or whatever, you know. He, and he spoke to him that way. He said, this is how you're going to live. Israelites, you're going to live a different way than you lived in, in Egypt. Now you're going to live this way. You're going to live in a kingdom way. The Bible said that David was a man after God's own heart. Why was he a man after God's own heart? It says that in Samuel 13, 1 Samuel 13, 14, Acts 13, 22. Why was he a man after God's own heart? Because he desired to speak to God face to face as one friend speaks to another. In everything that David did, like remember when he danced before the Lord, the ark returning there in 2 Samuel 6, it wasn't that he was reckless in his dancing and his wife mocked him for his recklessness. It's that he recognized that God had provided the victory. There was no other chance of this victory coming except through God. Amen. There's no other way we get this ark back unless God works. And he was thrilled with that because he had a relationship with God. It was very special from the time he was the little uh, shepherd boy killing the bear and killing the lion and taking on Goliath and all those things. From way back then till this time, he has a special relationship with God. He wants to know God, and he wants God to know him and have this relational thing. He learned to speak God's language. Not, this, not tongues necessarily. He learned to speak the language that speaks to God, which is, I praise you. I honor you. You are glorious. You are magnificent. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how come you even consider me a man made of dust? And he writes those things down. Because he saw who he was as he stood before God. He had a completely different view. Though he lived on earth with other men that were doing their own thing, living their own lives, he had a completely different view of God 
than the rest of the men around him. And God said, I can use a man like that. He's a man after my own heart. David had a great sense of justice as he dealt with Goliath, even though he was undersized, as he dealt with Abigail, um, that she was being mistreated, as he dealt with the, the discipline of Joab having to go after this guy that was this you know, valiant warrior guy, but who was wicked in his own, in his own uh, thinking. He had a different sense of loyalty than the people around him, the way he cared for Mephibosheth, however you say that name, Mephibosheth, uh, Saul's son or grandson there, the last of his line. And he cared for him, even though he knew that that guy could potentially rise up and take part of his kingdom in, in honor of Jonathan. And we need, to, we need to look, I mean, we use David to look at what kingdom men look like so that we can try to apply that to what our lives look like so we can have the same kind of, of uh, relationship so that we can have the same understanding that no weapon formed against me shall stand. He had that mindset. The only king, I, the only king who was never defeated, he never saw defeat in battle. Even Moses saw defeat in battle. Even Joshua saw defeat in battle at Ai. He's the only one that never saw defeat in battle. That's amazing. And his grasp of repentance and renewal in Psalm 51 proved again that this was a special man. He said, Lord, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Do not remove the ability that we have to speak to one another face to face. Please don't take that. He despaired greatly of that. He was just beaten by that. So let's go to James. Uh, James is the how to live in the kingdom manual. It's the, it's the short version. So we got all the New Testament and then we got James. James being likely the first New Testament book written. James knows that the Messiah has come. And in this book, and this is what, this is what really struck me this week, is that in this book of James, he's, he's laying out a view of living that is completely different from how the rest of the world lives. So these people have heard that the Messiah came. And as they came to accept Christ, they're like, well, so what about it? I mean, what, what should be different now that I, you know, I accepted Christ? What should be different in my life now than before? And James begins with this different viewpoint. It starts right off uh, with that James 1, 2, and 3 where it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. I accepted Christ and then the very first thing that the guy tells me is, oh, you're fixing to get beat. Wait a minute, why didn't you tell me that before I accepted Christ? I was to stay with the world. I read this week about um, two men. One was Robert Schuller. I think I think Jed gave me this book. But one was Robert Schuller and one is Franklin Graham. Robert Schuller, right after the 9-11 thing, um, the bombing of, the, of the, um, the planes flying into the towers there, um, he gets all these Muslims and different people, but particularly Muslims together, and he starts talking about how they all worship one God and we're all in unity, we're all friends. And, uh, and the press doesn't make any kind of stink about it at all. They just, you know, the church and the world is combined there. Remember Robert Schuller? He's kind of before some of y'all's time. He had the, the Crystal Cathedral there in California. And then they had this other man, Franklin Graham. And Franklin Graham, two weeks later, gets up there and he... He doesn't blast Muslims per se, but he blasts Islam. And he said, these people did this because their hearts are wicked and sinful. And they, they flew into these buildings because human life means nothing to them. And the press went after him and just tried to crucify him for speaking the truth. One man spoke the truth. The other man tried to go along to get along. And, and many Christians do that. You remember Nicodemus and uh, Joseph of Arimathea? They were secret disciples i'm gonna follow christ i'm gonna keep the secret 
And not until Christ is crucified on the cross. Nicodemus was very high up in the, in the priesthood. And Joseph of Arimathea was very wealthy. But not until Christ is crucified and they're like, man, I should have been a little more vocal than we were. Only then do they become open disciples and, and go up and remove him from the cross and take him and bury him in the, in the rich man's grave. We need to be open. We need to be uh, loud preachers of the gospel. We need to be John the Baptist and not Joseph of Arimathea. So I saw this in God's word this week in James, that James is the short how to live in the kingdom manual, as in how am I supposed to live as a believer while still on earth? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll have the manual better realize when I get to heaven and I see what the rules are more clearly, you know. But for here, it's written down for me in the book of James. It's written down for me there in that first five, six, and seven of Matthew. It's very clear that I'm supposed to live a different way than the people of earth live. And um, so James is trying to help these people understand what it means to live as a kingdom man in the earth. And remember, like Matthew said, Matthew 7 there, about how the people were astonished when they heard these words because this is just not how people work. I mean, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to work in my business. If I have to, you know, do a little fancy figure, and I may have to do that sometimes to make stuff work out right, you know, I may have to add a few numbers here and there in the books. I may have to, you know, you know, siphon a little gas out of somebody else's car to keep my, my sled going. I may have to do this thing or that thing to make it right. I may have to tell a lie to my wife or to my children about what I, where I was or what I did. I may have to look at some things on the internet but not let other people know what I'm looking at. So I've got to find these little secret hidey ways to, to go about that. And if anything keeps me from sin on the internet, it's the fact that I am worthless on a computer. And I know that my wife knows way more about it than I do, but but uh, you're free to, anyone's free to look at my computer, my cell phone anytime and look at anything I've looked at, you're free to look at it and you'll probably be bored to tears. But, but, but you need to be careful in that because you're not called to be a secret disciple. You're called to a different level here. Amen. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So from the very first verses, we see a whole new way of living that's completely different from how the rest of the world lives. And you're not called to be a secret disciple. You're called to be a verbal, a, a, a shouting disciple. And he says in there, from there to chapter 2, where I'm really going, at the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2, is from there he begins to talk about uh, how different we will be from the rest of the world. And look where wisdom comes from. Let him ask of God, verse 5. Amen. And let the lowly glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because he's going to die just like the poor is, is what it says. And what about enduring temptation and how to, how to accomplish passing through temptation and how to keep it from blooming into flower, which is sin. And he talks about all these things. And, and you know, if you're of the world, you're not really worried about temptation. You walk by the temptation. Remember that in Psalm 1 about walking and in standing and in sitting in the place of the scorner. You, you, you walk by and you see the temptation. If you're in the world, you just go, oh, you just go over there and sit down and, and be in it. But as a man of God, a woman of God, you have to see the temptation, become aware of it, say, that's my weak point, and you've got to keep on going. Amen. And then it says, this is so interesting, this, this is what I'm telling you, is that James is pointing out that everything here on this globe is earthly, but that God is speaking from the heavens. He's speaking, it said, we, we learned this from Ecclesiastes, it says everything that's done under the sun. So everything that happens this side of the sun is earthly, and everything that happens above the sun is heavenly, right? 
It's beyond our ability to get to. But the things that happen beyond the sun, the godly things, the things of God, the heavenlies, affects the believers here on earth. We should this, we're trying to live this way, even though we dwell here, it's very difficult because we can't see it, we can't understand. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above the sun and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. He says, lay aside, verse 21, lay aside filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is a different... I got to receive what was given from the heavenlies through God's word into my spirit and begin to live in a different way than I lived before. But here's where I'm going. I see all that. Uh, Verse 1, verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. So I can't... I must struggle against these things, the man that endures temptation. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. I've got to endure the temptation. I've got to lay aside the filthiness and overflow of wickedness. I've got to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save my soul. I've got to look into the perfect law of liberty daily, and I've got to continue in it, not being a forgetful hearer, not coming on Sunday morning and hearing the word and being like, oh, that was good, or oh, that was terrible, Whatever, whatever you decide as you go out the door and go home retain it go back and amplify it by reading the word again for yourself make sure the guy told you the truth and and then do it it says this man this one will be blessed in what he does the one who does it if jesus tells me that there's a kingdom way to do things in matthew 5 6 and 7 and james you know re-amplifies that in the book of james and i hear it but then I go and live just like the rest of the world lives, well, then I'm being disobedient. And what would my expectation be if I was disobedient to my earthly father? This was a groundbreaker for me. Verse 2, verse 1 right here. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. So there's two things going on here. The first thing is, is how I receive the word of God the love of Christ, his salvation, and so on, and how I perceive it as I talk to other people about it. Like I look how this person's dressed over here versus how these people are dressed over here. This guy's quite well, I mean, Jed, we know he's wealthy. He's driving a VW bug out there for crying out loud. So we know he's flush, right? I mean, he's living big, right? Well, this guy over here, they're driving whatever they're driving, you know, so we know. So I'm going to take Jed. I want Jed to be my friend. And then that way there, he'll take me out to dinner. He'll do these good things for me. And then maybe I'll share the gospel because I could see being in relational salvation and things like that with Jed. I mean, look how clean and nice he is. It's nice family and cute girls and Moe's and whatever, you know, big house and got a swimming pool in his backyard. I mean, I could see being in relation with him, but this guy over here doesn't have anything. That's what it's talking about, partiality. It's, it's saving God's grace, God's salvation, the salvation of Christ for the muckety-mucks and rejecting the poor. That's one part of it. But the other part of it is, and you can receive this any way you want. You can take this and you can go talk about me as the dirtiest dog ever, but what I'm fixing to tell you is the truth, um, like it or not. But there's a great number of so-called believers that have accepted this false heretical teaching of, I'm saved by grace, I'm no longer under the law. 
That's true. But they use that as an excuse for sin in their life. Yes, you're under grace. But that doesn't mean that you can live like that. doesn't mean that you can accept Christ and live like the old man lived before Christ. Well, I got my fire insurance. I'm going to be fine. And one of the biggest problems with the church is that so many people have used this very sentence to live however they choose, and it gives justification for sinful behavior in the world. I just talked to a man the other day, and it, it broke my heart. One of my neighbors, I just met the guy, and this is what the guy said. I, I'm talking to him. He's saying some kind of reasonable thing. I said, well, man, are you a Christian man? Well, I'm going to try and walk him through the gospel. You know, if he's not, he goes, you know, I used to think I knew what Christians were. He goes, but I've yet to meet one. I said, really? Well, what's going on? You know, I mean, just let him talk. And he said, I'm telling you what. He goes, I, he grew up in Jamestown, moved away, worked East Coast, worked a bunch of union jobs and stuff. Now he's retired here. So all his kin folks from Jamestown, Crossville, Rennie up there. And so uh, uh, in talking to him, he keeps going. He says, here's what I know about Christians around here. He said, they're some of the meanest, greediest, selfish people I've ever met in my whole life. And they'll sit there and tell you what good, godly people they are, but if they're going to make a dollar, they'll make it off of you, and they'll do you wrong in that, and then they'll tell you, how come you didn't come to church on Sunday? He said, I never heard of people talk so bad about black people as I've heard them talk about here, talk about going to their Baptist church and then talk, demean black people like, like they have. And I heard the same thing when I came here to Crossville. I was really surprised what people said. And, and all I know is when I went to court the first time with a, a, somebody that damaged one of our rooms at the motel, I had to go up there to court. And I didn't see any black people in there. I saw an awful lot of white people. It, was, it wasn't black people that were committing crimes in Cumberland County and breaking into houses and drugs and so on, but that's another story. The point is, is that he had an excellent point. Of course, he's looking at man, he's not looking at God, and I told him that you've got to stand before God, you're not going to be judged by man, you're going to be judged by God. He's like, well, that may be. He said, but I don't know if I'd want to be a Christian and have to stand before God. That's a great point. What is the example? Are you holding the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with partiality? Does your Christianity stop when you leave the room, when you leave this building? Are you a different person outside the door than you are inside the door? And somebody told me something like that this week. And it, 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 it bothers me. If you say that you love me, then why don't you keep my commandments? It, it, the commandments don't stop at the door. I just got to be nice to the people here as long as I'm in here. But then once I go outside the door, I can be however I am. God understands me. I was made this way. I was born this way. The, the, I'm not talking about, and I'm telling you, the law is in the book for a reason. It's a tutor to bring us to Christ. Once we're in Christ, though, we can still use the law to see what's appropriate for kingdom living on earth. And Jesus goes through and he breaks the law down just so simple, little bitty pieces. Even a, even a child can understand it. Blessed is this, blessed is that. Act this way, don't act that way. And, and we really struggle with that. And I'm not talking about going to the law and start sacrificing lambs and bullocks and all that. But this believer who acts the same way after Christ, so-called as he did before, he's watching the same things on TV he, he has the same view on, on sex before marriage as he did before. He has the same view on abortion as he did before. He has the same view on, on speaking, just whatever comes to his mouth. In, it says not to have coarse jesting and things like that, vain talking and coarse jesting. He's still the vain talking in the court. None of these things have changed in this man. Be careful, because I dare say you may not have received Christ. You may have just prayed a prayer 
and nothing changed. That's a scary spot. Don't take salvation lightly. Hebrews 19, oh, sorry, Hebrews 9, 14 and 15 for if, or start at 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead work to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the inheritance. If this is true, then why would I not be obedient to what Christ says? If this blood was shed for me in this covenant, why wouldn't I be obedient to him? If Jesus is our Savior, if our faith is bound to him through our confession as our comforter, well, why are we anything less than obedient? Why are we taking what he says with partiality? Why are we taking it lightly with apathy? Who's been watching The Chosen? I'm sure all you guys are watching The Chosen. Dave loves the chosen. Dave's our man, the man of the hour. The chosen has its positive elements, Dave. But if I had to say one thing about the chosen, the best, the best picture you can get for it, from it in my opinion, is that those people were with Christ. When he gets up in the morning, they're there. When he goes to bed at night, they're there. If he says we're traveling, they go. If he says we're going to talk to these people, they talk. He said, we're going to stand there while I talk to these people. That's what they do. He says, we're going to go to the sea. They go to the sea. We're going to go to the whatever, Samaritan's woman well. That's where we're going to go. They're with Christ. They're with Christ. They give up. This is very hard for us as Americans. We got lots of stuff. We like stuff. Stuff is good. They give up everything to follow Christ. Some of them are wealthy. Some are poor. Some of them are elite and, you know, kind of governmentally connected. Some of them are just nobodies. They give up whatever they are to follow Christ. And they do what they he tells them to do, even if it seems odd. They go wherever he goes. They're with him. It says, Matthew 7, 26, we just read it. To hear Jesus' word and not to do it is foolish. He says... Take up your cross daily and follow me. Amen. To hear what he says to do and not do it is foolishness. I had a man go after me um, and one of the guys this last week, and this is what he said. This was actually last week. He said that, I, that he asked what it meant to abide in Christ, and this is, where I'm, this is where I'm trying to get to this morning, because if you need to know anything, you need to know how to abide in Christ. If you need to know anything about God's word, if you're going to go to prison, you need to know how to abide in Christ. And he said, I gave him a trite answer. Go there. You can go there right now. Go to the book of John 14, 15. And that's what I told him. I said, if you want to know how to abide in Christ, then you go to the book of John. And he goes, I'm not looking for some pat, you know, Bible answer. <laughs> well, hang on. Just let's read this and let's see how do we abide in Christ. Because to abide, I there's no... I'm not, I'm, if I'm hurting your feelings, I'm not, I'm not trying to, but you need to hear this. There is no shortcut to abiding in Christ. Because this is what people say when they say, well, what does it mean to abide in Christ? What it means is they're asking, how can I live exactly as I want to live every day and still get God's blessing? 
And if I really need something, how come when I jerk God's chain, he doesn't just jump up and do what I tell him to do? How come he doesn't answer my prayers? How come he doesn't speak to me personally? I never heard him speak to me. I never had no dream. I never had no vision. How come when I pray, God doesn't answer in the way that I want him to answer? Well, I mean, what kind of God is that? That's a slave. That's not a God. I mean, if I can, if I can yank his chain and he just hops up and does what, that's, a, that's what a slave does. That's what a servant does. That's not what a God does. God's sitting on the throne. And he honors you by hearing your prayers, whether he answers them or not. He humbles himself to hear you pray to him. Listen, listen to John 15. We're going to read John 15. We're going to read till verse 20. We're, we're talking about abiding. What does it mean to abide? If you want to know what it means to abide, this is what it means. I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. They're pretenders. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may remain full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You're my friends. If you do whatever I command you, you are my friend. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you would love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So the man said, what does it mean to abide? To abide is to abode. Come, same word. Abode is a house, right? Everybody know that? It's kind of old school word. Welcome to my abode. That means come, welcome into my house. To abide is to be with in the house. You're in the house. You're, you're with him. And I can't give you a better answer than that. People receive, I, I know this to be true, that people receive love and affirmation, attention, encouragement, different ways. And I know that the way that I speak to people may be different than you receive it. You know, Amen. that's all right. It's okay. We receive the word in one. But I'm telling you, 
that the answer to this question is, how do I abide? The answer is right here, John 14 through 16. You read that over and over and over till you understand what abide is. And don't shoot the guy that's telling you because I can't tell you some top secret backdoor way to abide in Christ. Abiding comes by being with. In the, that's why the chosen, that's the best picture of the chosen. You can watch that part, watch him follow him around and turn it off. That's what I did. But <laughs> I'm kidding. It's, it's pretty good. It wasn't my favorite, but it's not unbiblical or anything. I just wasn't my flavor. But what I saw was these people following Christ. And that's an excellent picture for us. Where he's at, if you want to abide, then be with Christ. We don't have to like, I mean, about the chosen. I shouldn't tease you about it. It, it, it has its point if you like it god bless you if it helps you to grow spiritually to watch that god bless you watch it watch it with your kids tell friends and neighbors but see the picture of being with christ and make that the goal of your life abiding with christ because if you're not abiding with christ then another person coming to you got these emotional things going on and you're not with christ you're not filled with the holy spirit you're not seeking his face daily you're not reading his word meditating on his word fasting praying whatever seeking him well, then I can tell you anything I want to tell you, and it's not going to help you. You've got to have relationship with him. Abiding is relationship with Christ. That's the answer. And you can be mad at me about that or not. That's the answer. The answer, it says, is to walk daily with Christ according to his commands, doing what he says to do. Amen. So walk according to his commands, doing what he says to do. That's what it said in James, too. Walk according to his commands, doing what he said. Well, what does he say to do? And we've talked about it. In James, it said to, to care for the widow and the orphan in their distress. And to, how does that, I want to say it exactly as it is. I don't want to misspeak mis that. Because he says, true and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unspotted from the world. Yes. Okay. How do I abide in Christ? I, before the God and Father, I visit orphans and widows in their distress, and I keep myself unspotted from the world. How else? Well, it says to love one another. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What are his commandments? Father, love me. I love you. I keep my Father's commandments. What is his Father's commandments? It's Genesis 1 through the end of Malachi. That's the commandments. What's Jesus' commandments? He says, keep my commandments. That's Matthew 1 through Revelation 22. So if you want to abide in Christ, you just got to do what he tells you to do. And that really bothered this man because he doesn't want to do what Christ is telling him to do. And he, and he started on me, and I said, I said, well, are you visiting the widow and the orphan in their distress? Well, I went and talked to my neighbor one time. Are you visiting the widow and the orphan in their distress? Are you honoring God in everything you do? Are you the high priest of your family? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you giving out of your abundance or out of your poverty? Because all these things are the things that he told us to do. Are you laying down your life for someone else beside yourself? That's how you abide. Don't hold to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. That means like hanging out there. My most unfavorite teenager word, chilling. I'm just chilling there. You're not just chilling there. You better be hanging on. The God that holds the universe by the power of his word hears you when you pray. Amen. Well, he never answers. 
Yeah, well, he deigns to hear you. He lowered himself to hear you, you old man made of dirt. He heard you, and he cares. And he holds our tears in a bottle. And he contains our prayers in some kind of urn, the prayers of the saints that float up before his throne. And he's concerned about those things. And that's enough. That's that song we had to sing at Passover, Dayenu. It's enough. He hears you. Whether he answers or not, he hears you. This isn't the end. Live by the kingdom rules on this earth, and then you'll understand in the second life. We're just notoriously bad at obedience. If I was to read the book of James over and over and over, or that, that there in Matthew, over and over and over, and then I made that who I am. I made that as my direction for living on this earth. I'm, I'm going to be a strange fella. I'm going to be different than other people. Now, if I did that, and I can't just read it. i got to apply it. Faith comes by hearing. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, don't be just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. I can't just hear it. I have to apply it. I have to live this way. It has to become real to me to let somebody hit me in the face and me turn the other cheek. It has to become real to me that someone can say whatever they want about me, which they do, and I have to love them anyway, which I can. God has helped me with that greatly. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt my feelings. I'm saying I can hear it and it not just derail me because this isn't it. And I've been called to care uh, for our fellowship. But James 2.8, it says something very key there. It says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you do well. There's the rules. If I really fulfill these rules in this book, I do well. In every way, we, we, most of us, do as best we can to fulfill the rules of the law of the country. If it's speeding or how we act in public and whatever. But maybe not to the T because we don't even know all the rules because they change all the time. But if we're willing to do that for the earthly kingdom, how much more for the one that saved us by his grace? The word of God is alive and it's powerful. And James 3, look at this uh, 13 through 18. Look what it says, very powerful. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. But where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing is there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Two different places. One wisdom comes from beyond the sun and one comes from below the sun. We've got to get to, the, get to this heavenly thinking, this kingdom thinking, and apply it to our person now. We can't wait till then. You know, I'll learn the heavenly language when I get to heaven. That's true. But you better know something about the way of living in heaven now. Because if you don't, then that means that you're not attached to the vine. It says there are some people that could be in the vine, but they're not producing fruit. And they get pruned off and burned up. So there are people that are in name saying that they're Christians, but they're not 
living as Christ's followers, they don't follow Christ. They don't get up daily and follow him. They're not abiding in him. They're not producing fruit. Where's your fruit? Last week was, where's your mighty men? This week, where's your fruit? You know, part of your fruit would be de demonstrated by who your mighty men are. Who's following you? Who are you following? <clears throat> so the kingdoms of God is God's constitution and rules, and he commands his people to abide by them. And we need to begin to live as heavenly men and no longer as earthly ones. And I think we really struggle with that because we've not ever seen heaven. We've never been there. We haven't seen it. So we don't know. We can only go by one who has seen it and what he tells us to do, and that's Christ. Amen. So that's how we begin. That's how a kingdom man lives now and in, in the future. If I have all these, like I told you, if I got all these great godly men in my life, the Zadoks and Nathaniels and, or Nathans and the Benny Aya guy, but I don't have relationship, close relationship with Christ, and the things that they say won't have good application for me. I'll reject what they say because they'll hurt my feelings or they'll harm my emotional status. I'll have to go to my safe space and, and whatever. But instead, if I have Christ, if I'm abiding in Christ and I'm fully attached to the vine and what he's telling me to do is flowing through the vine into the branch and then it's producing some little fruit over here, then the, the little stumbling things that happen in life, the, the injurious words that come from other people or the hardships that come or the deaths in the family or the cancer that crops up or whatever, all those things I'll be able to handle with my mighty men because I got Christ. If you're looking for Dale to satisfy the deep spiritual emotional things that you need handled, I'm sorry, man, I'm a fallen man. I'll do the best I can for you, but for one thing, you don't know me. You don't even abide with me. I mean, if you were with me all the time, you would see me differently than you see me just seeing me speak once a week or whatever. If you were with me daily, you would see what I really am, and you would know me better. And you would be more likely to do what I tell you to do or not do what I tell you to do because you would know who I am. But looking for a man to satisfy some deep emotional need that you have is the wrong place to look because he's going to let you down because I have failures. I hit my thumb with hammers sometimes. I do stuff like that. I back over stuff. I get flat tires. Things happen in my life that cause me to have stressful days. People say ugly things to me, and I react in ways I shouldn't react. I don't always present the gospel perfectly to people. Not everybody I talk to gets saved. I, that was great, Isaac, what you said last week, week before. You know, I was hoping revival would break out, and nobody turns. Amen. I mean, I see that all the... It, but you don't quit presenting the gospel because of lack of that. The point is, is that abide. Abide in Christ... And you'll be able to easier overlook the failures of other men as you see them also trying to abide in Christ. And you'll be able to exhort one another, encourage one another in that. So it's much simpler to abide than what you think. If this, this is the last big thought for you, just do what God tells you to do. Whatever I command you, that's what I do. What does Jesus tell me? If somebody asks you, what does it mean to abide in Christ, where are you going to send them? John 14, 15, and 16. Let's try that again. If anybody asks you, what does it mean to abide in Christ, where are you going to send them? Don't try to answer the question. It's unanswerable. Don't try to answer the question. Just say, listen, this is what the Word says. Well, I wasn't looking for a Bible pat answer. Man, if you ain't looking for it in the Bible, you're out of luck because that's where it's at. John 14 through 16. Where's abiding at? John 14 through 16. Father, this morning we thank you for your Word, and I pray for these that have come, Lord. 
And I'm, I'm grateful that you are all-powerful. And I'm also grateful that you're unknowable in many ways. But for the part that you've revealed to us, Lord, I pray that you help me to know and to understand who you are so that I can be obedient to your word and in following you. We do thank you, Lord, for sending the Messiah to us. Help us to be better, obedient. Convict us in our spirit when we're not. When we say words that we shouldn't say, when we have attitudes that we shouldn't have, when we drive people away by our behaviors, not acting Christ-like because we're not abiding well. Help us to abide well, Lord. May the May your spirit, may that holy oil, that anointing oil, flow from the roots of the vine, Lord, through us, and may we produce much fruit. So grateful for these that have come, Lord. I pray that they would be encouraged today to go and abide, to read your word, to discover again afresh who you are and how much you care for them, Lord. I pray for our country. I pray for those decisions that are being made today and that undermining wickedness, Lord, that would seek to crush your spirit and your work of the kingdom in this, in this country. And I pray for this church, Lord, that these that would be here, that would hear your word, would go away glad as they know that they're abiding in you and they're doing your will and they're being obedient in that. I thank you, Lord, for these that have come, Lord. I pray they be encouraged today to go and be obedient to you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, your blessings on us, for upholding the universe in which we exist, for giving us breath in our lungs, Lord, that we can praise you. We thank you, Lord, for all your good caring for us. Thank you, Lord, now for those that have prepared the meal for today and, the, and the, the different ladies that put the thought into that and the work that they did there, Lord. We uh, honor them this morning in that. We thank you for the food. I pray that you use it in us, that it gives us the energy to go out and do your will, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you one other thing. It was really neat. And I left my phone over there. A man named Emmanuel from Burundi, Africa. Where did our, uh, oh, Amy Strong's not here. So our boxes this year went to our, our uh, Good Samaritan, our Samaritan's Purse boxes went to Bur Burundi, apparently, and Madagascar. And if you recall, we put some pictures of people from our church in those boxes. I'm going to get my phone. This thing's going to beep, maybe. Yeah, grab my phone. Thank you, brother. Little brother. And this man this morning, before church, sent me this message. Good morning. I'm happy with my family to receive your gift, letter, and picture. I live in Burundi, Africa. I pray with my friends in Evangelical Friends Church. I have three children, a boy, and two girls. His name is Emmanuel. I said, Emmanuel, so good to hear from you, this, my brother. God bless you as well. Thank you, Master. <laughs> Do you speak French? S-P-E-E-K. Do you speak French? Later I will send a picture when my daughter gets your gift, which he did. He sent me a picture of his little girl receiving the gift. It's kind of funny. It's a little past Christmas. Whatever. I, I told him I speak English and some Spanish and maybe a greeting in French only, but I have Google Translate. And then he sends me this long message in French, so anybody that speaks French can come and read it. Sent me a picture of his daughter with the present and a picture of their church built in 1940 by Arthur Chilson from Kansas State. So he must be a good guy. Anyway, I told him uh, what a great blessing it was. It was a great blessing. Isn't that great? To know that you sent the thing and then somebody sent it back. Man, and he said, it wasn't the best family picture we ever took, I'll tell you that. I mean, maybe I could have sucked it in a little better. But anyway, and he sent the picture back. I wish he'd have just kept the picture. But uh, anyhow, <laughs> it was great to, re to receive that this morning. So maybe we'll get some more uh, letters and, and those back from people. God bless y'all. Go and apply the word that was taught to you today, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit be in you this week and overflow you in Jesus' name.